Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, What Would Jesus Undo? In this series, we'll open ourselves up to discover the knots in our lives that Jesus wants to undo so that we can live an authentic faith. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We'd love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. Well, good morning again. I'm, I'm working double duty. It's still me, I promise. <laughs> but I want to welcome you to Valleybrook. If you're a guest here, we're so glad and we're honored that you, you're here this morning. Uh, it means a lot to us that you would spend your Sunday morning here with us uh, in our Valleybrook family. So thank you so much for coming. We'd love to meet you. We're going to say this probably five times this service, but it's important to us. We'd love to meet you. Um, so on your way out at the end of the service, you can drop by our Welcome Center. We have a special gift for you. But this morning, we have something special in store for our church. And I was here first service, and let me tell you, church, uh, God has something mighty to do uh, here again and something new to do. But uh, we have a, we have a guest, special guest speaker, and, um, you know, there's a, a special intro to this guest speaker. I met this man probably about, I would say, eight years ago, um, and I met him, and then about just around seven years ago, um, I sat down again with this man at coffee at Starbucks in, in Indiana, and I said, hey, um, I think I want to marry your daughter, and, and, and can I have your daughter's hand in marriage? And uh, he, he said no. No, I'm just kidding. He said yes, and um, you know, I've had the honor and the privilege of, of becoming and having them become part of our family. And so um, when we were doing the series, we were planning the series, Lisa and I and the family were in Indiana, and, and I just had this thought, and the Lord put on my heart, you should ask your father-in-law to speak one Sunday. And so I did. And he said yes, and uh, so why don't we uh, give a warm Valley Brook welcome to Pastor Doug Schroeder. Well, it is so good uh, to be here. This is the first time that uh, Dan and I have had the privilege of ministering together in a public way, and it has just been a delight, and I know it's going to continue to be a light in this service. Well, in uh, 1896, yeah, that's well over 100 years ago, there was a pastor by the name of Charles Sheldon who preached a message to his congregation. And in the message, he challenged them to not do anything for an entire year without first asking the question, what would Jesus do? Well, as you can imagine, that sermon turned into a sermon series and then eventually became a book that was entitled, In His Steps. If you've never read it, you should read it. It's a delight. Today we're in the second sermon in a sermon series that's designed to show us where we are out of step with Jesus. In this series, we're not asking the question, what would Jesus do? We're asking the question, what would Jesus undo? What are the things that break his heart? What are the things that, that trouble his soul? What are the things that, that bring Jesus um, sadness and grief? What are the things that bring him pain? What are the things that bring him loss? What are the knots in our, in our hearts that bind us up in such a way that we are not able to have an authentic relationship with him? To introduce today's subject, I would like for you to think about a time that you made an intentional sacrifice for someone to purchase a special gift for them or to do something very special in the way of serving them, only to have that person show very little interest in your gift 
or very little appreciation for the sacrifice that you made for them. There are a few times that's happened in my life. And I can tell you every time there was this, this deep sense of sadness and disappointment that the person did not see the sacrifice that I had made and appreciate the gift or the sacrificial service. With your experience in mind, do you have one? Is there a time when you made a sacrifice to purchase a special gift for someone or to serve them in some special way and yet they showed very little interest in your gift or in your sacrifice? With that experience in mind, how do you think Jesus feels when he left the rich relationship in the Godhead with the Father and the Spirit in heaven and came down to earth sacrificing absolutely everything for you and yet you can go all day at times without even thinking about him or the gift that he purchased through his blood or the many gifts that he continues to give by his grace every day. What do you think Jesus thinks and, and feels when after he has called you and he has equipped you and he has energized you for his cause in the world, you neglect that cause? And maybe at times even totally ignore it. What would Jesus undo? I'll tell you what he would completely undo. He would completely undo spiritual indifference. Now, spiritual indifference really is nothing new, is it? But you know what? I think we have taken it to a whole new level in our generation. By the way, do you know that our generation has been called the meh generation? Uh, you ever doubt that? You just ask someone, how you doing? Meh. How's your work? Meh. Having a good day? Meh. Enjoying school? Meh. We are the meh generation. In the book of Revelation, John records seven letters that Jesus wrote to seven different churches. And the seventh letter was written to a church much like our generation, the meh generation. The church was in Laodicea. And Laodicea was a pretty amazing place. Along with Colossae and Hierapolis, it was, it was situated in what is called the Fertile Lycus Valley. The great Roman road, you may have heard of it, stretched from Ephesus on the coast into the inland of Asia, ran right through Laodicea, making it a strategic place for commerce and communication. It was a very wealthy city. A great deal of its wealth came from the production of a, a high-end wool. It was a black wool. And it was sewn into garments and woven into rugs that were sought over all over the known world. In fact, the people of Laodicea were so wealthy that when their town was destroyed by an earthquake just 35 years prior to Jesus writing this letter, they chose, actually refused, the financial help of the Roman government saying, you know what, we're going to build our city on our own. And that's exactly what they did. And they built an amazing city. It had elaborate stadiums and theaters and shopping malls and, and, and public baths. And if that wasn't enough, there was also a famous school of medicine in the, in the town. And this school was known especially for its production of, of eye salve 
that again was used throughout the entire Roman world. Jesus starts his letter to this church in Revelation 3.14, introducing himself as if they didn't know him. Can you imagine that? Jesus giving an introduction to the church as if this group of believers didn't even know him. He says, to the angel of the church on the Odyssey write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Immediately, I have to imagine, he, he had their attention. I hope that he has yours as well today. Jesus is the amen. This affirms who he is. He is God incarnate. It affirms what he does. He fulfills all of God's promises. All of God's promises are yes in Jesus, the word of God tells us. He's the faithful and true witness which confirms everything that he says is true. Every word that proceeds from his mouth is absolutely true. And he is the ruler of God's creation which identifies him as the creator and sustainer of the universe. After that introduction, Jesus writes, I know your deeds. I know how you're living. I know what you did yesterday. I know what you do every day of your life. I know your deeds, and you know what? You are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one of the others, so because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Wow. Those are some pretty harsh words from our Savior, aren't they? They show us just how out of step spiritual indifference is with him. Now, now as you look at the text, clearly this is a church that needs to heat up its passion for Christ, Right? But for Jesus to suggest that he would rather they be cold toward him than lukewarm toward him seems a bit odd, doesn't it? It's really not odd at all when you understand the different water supplies of these three Lycus Valley cities. Colossae was couched up against a mountain where it had a perpetual supply of refreshing cold water continuous supply of all the cold water you could, you could imagine. While the hot springs at Hierapolis with their heavy mineral content provided an ideal place for people who were seeking relief from certain kinds of ailments to just go and soak in that water. You see, here's the point. Although the Odyssea was very, very prosperous, it had a problem with its water supply. It didn't have its own source of water. The remains of an ancient aqueduct reveal that the water that arrived in Laodicea was very similar to the water in Hierapolis, but because of the distance it had to travel, it was, it was no longer hot mineral water, but was lukewarm mineral-laden water, making it nauseating to drink. Jesus is saying, like your water supply your indifference is nauseating to me. I wish you were either a refreshing cold drink or a healing hot bath, but because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus is saying, your spiritual indifference does not only break my heart, 
it turns my stomach. After all I did for you, paying for your salvation with my own blood, after all I've done for you, calling you and equipping you and empowering you for, for the work, for my cause in the world, you don't even seem to care. Jesus writes to them, you say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth, and I do not need anything. You know, so often when I talk to people today and I bring up the subject of spiritual things, especially when I bring up uh, the subject of eternity, people just seem to have the attitude, I'm good. I'm good. I've got my house. I've got my car. I've got my family. I've got my friends. I'm good. I've got a good job. Great health benefits. Matching 401K. I'm good. I've got my phone. Got an upgrade, you know. Got my music, I've got my movies, got my video games, I got my, my social media. I'm good. I've got everything I need. And Jesus is saying, you're, you're full of the things of this world, but you're lacking what truly matters. Your life is full of stuff, but it's empty of meaning. You think you have all you need, but you have no idea what you're missing. You see, friends, all over our country, there are so many Christians who have just a little bit of Jesus. They, they have just enough of Jesus so that they feel good about themselves. They have just enough of Jesus that they might do something uh, to help out a, a person who's in need, a little something. Just enough of Jesus to give them a sense of comfort, just enough of Jesus to give them a sense of being content, but not enough of Jesus so they would be moved to pursue him in an intentional, personal way. Now, hopefully at this point, you're at least asking yourself the question, am I spiritually indifferent? Well, here are six practical indicators of things that I've seen in my own life as well as my, my ministry to others that might indicate whether or not you are spiritually indifferent. The first is you might be spiritually indifferent if you're more concerned with impressing people than living for God. If when you take a good look at your life, you find yourself more concerned about what people think instead of what God thinks, you may have spiritual indifference. Second, you might be spiritually indifferent if you're obsessed with life here on earth rather than life in heaven. I mean, you're all about what you can get down here on earth instead of what you can store up there in heaven. Third, you might be spiritually indifferent if you rationalize sin in your life rather than living righteously for God. Boy, we sure like to redefine sin in our day, don't we? And we like to rename it so we do not sound so bad. And we like to compare ourselves with others so we do not look so bad. Fourth, you might be spiritually indifferent if you believe in Jesus, but you rarely talk about him. If you really believe that God is alive and that the gospel is true, then people without Jesus Christ are destined for an eternity without him. If you care at all, You'd be telling them how, how their sins can be forgiven and how they can have a home in heaven when they die by trusting in Christ's death and resurrection as payment for their sin. Fifth, you might be spiritually indifferent if you, if you only turn to God when you're in need instead of living in a relationship with him. Rather than seeking him daily, you only seek him when you're in trouble. 
Jesus is like a tool in your toolbox. When, you, when you're in trouble, you reach down in the toolbox, you bring him out, and once whatever was bothering you is fixed, you put him back away in the toolbox. And then finally, you might be spiritually indifferent if, if you're not much different than the world. If you spend your money the same way the world spends their money, if you're entertained the same way the world is entertained, if you raise your children basically with the same uh, kinds of, of, of goals as the world, if one or, or a few of those are true in your life, what will probably happen is someday you'll wake up and you realize that that passion you had for Christ when you trusted him as your savior somehow has been gone and his cause in the world is, is taking a back seat. You're not, you're not cold, there's a purpose in that. You're not hot, there's a purpose in that. You're just meh. And you know what? There is absolutely no purpose in that. This attitude does not just break Jesus' heart. It turns his stomach. Jesus addresses spiritual indifference by first revealing the illusion of self-sufficiency that causes it. To whatever measure it is in your life, he says to the church at Laodicea, you say I'm rich and, and I've acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. I'm self-sufficient. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. The proper exegesis of this or, or the bringing out of what the text says would probably uh, connect the first two together, wretched and pitiful, as a general uh, statement of the condition. And then the latter three, and you're going to see just how in a moment, how the latter three of poor, blind, and naked actually illustrate the specifics of it. Jesus is saying, you think you're self-sufficient. You think you can handle it on your own. But the truth is, you are pitifully wretched, being poor, blind, and naked. The word translated wretched comes from, from the idea of a pronounced unhappiness. And the word pitiful translates a word that means mercy. You think you're happy because you don't know any better. You think you're happy, but you have no idea what genuine happiness really is. You think you can rely on yourself, <laughs> but what you really need is God's mercy. Poor is an intense word speaks about spiritual poverty that grinds away at your soul, just kind of eats you up. Blind refers to not being able to see God's purpose in your life, and naked speaks of your sinfulness being exposed before God. The whole point of all of that is, if you want to boil it down, he says, you're not who you think you are. Now, even though Jesus finds spiritual indifference nauseating, in such a characteristic fashion, our Savior graciously tells them and tells us that true sufficiency is not found in yourself. True sufficiency is found in trusting in Jesus. And how does he do that? He says, he says you need to buy from me gold refined in fire so that you can become truly rich. Gold refined in fire refers to that process of, of heating gold up to a high intensity of heat until uh, the impurities are liquefied and they rise to the top and then they're scraped off by the goldsmith, resulting with a, a purer and higher quality gold. Faith is often referred to in the Bible as, as being like refined gold. 
Jesus is urging you to recognize your poverty and by faith to seek him who alone provides true riches. I mean, you have got to imagine what a blow that must have been to these self-sufficient people and to any attitude of self-sufficiency because a self-sufficient attitude is the opposite of living by faith in Christ. Look what he says next. Buy from me white clothes to wear so that, that you can cover your shameful nakedness. To say that you are standing shamelessly naked before God is to say that you have nothing within yourself to cover your own sin. Again, that must have been extremely difficult for them because weren't they known for this, this fine black wool that was woven into beautiful clothing that was, was sent all over the world? What you need to do is confess your sin of spiritual indifference and recognize that your sin is not covered by self-righteousness. There's nothing you can do in yourself to cover your sin. It's, it's covered by the righteousness of Christ through faith in him. And then finally, he says, once again, buy from me salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Again, as I mentioned earlier, the city was known for their eye salve. But now these Christians living in the vision center of the world are informed that they are blind. They need to purchase through faith in Christ heavenly eye salve that will give them spiritual sight. Now, after these strong words concerning spiritual indifference, by the way, the strongest words in, in all seven of the letters written to seven different churches, Jesus then follows up, as he so characteristically does, with the most tender words that could ever be given or that you could ever imagine to people who have so utterly failed him. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. The word rebuke, when it stands alone, is, is pretty harsh, isn't it? I rebuke you. Oh, that's pretty hard. But when it's coupled with love and discipline, the word takes on a softer meaning that can be compared to the loving training of a beloved child. And Jesus says to us this morning, as he says to this church, because I love you, I confront you with your sin, and I call you to repentance. And look how he does it. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. By the way, you notice he's not just knocking on the door. Anyone who stands and knocks, and if you hear my voice, he's calling out at the same time. If anyone hears my voice, I will come in and eat with him and him with me. I think you'd agree with me that eating a meal with someone in their home is, is the ultimate expression of genuine friendship. The travesty of this word picture is Jesus, who loves his church and who gave himself for it, is found not on the inside, but on the outside, knocking and calling to get in. The reason uh, this church encounters such a strong rebuke is because its purpose is no longer defined by God. 
It's defined by its own self-interest. Jesus desires an intimate relationship with you, and he desires an intimate relationship with your church. He stands at the, at the door of Valley Brook Community Church, and he knocks and he calls, and he stands at the door of your life knocking and calling. If you hear his voice as a church and you hear his, his voice as an individual, he will open that door and you hear his voice by, by having an intentional relationship with him. And if you do that, you will have the most intimate fellowship with him and with each other, resulting in genuine spiritual passion for him and for his cause in the world. Now Jesus closes out this letter with, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I have overcome and sat with my father on his throne. He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's bring this thing home, huh? How can you move from spiritual indifference to spiritual passion? Well, before you can do anything else, you need to confess the sin of spiritual indifference. And ask God to, to renew your passion for Christ. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. To confess is simply to agree with God concerning the sinful attitude of indifference toward him and his cause in the world. You can do that right where you're seated right now. God, I confess to you, I have been spiritually indifferent. Having done that, here are seven practical applications from this passage to ignite spiritual passion in your life. Here's the first one. Talk to God throughout the day. Start every day saying good morning to the Lord. End every day saying good night to him. And in the middle of the day, live in an atmosphere of prayer that regularly breaks out into actual prayer to God. Friends, that is, that is the biblical definition of what it means to pray without ceasing. Say good morning to the Lord in the morning. Say good night to him at night. And the whole day is one constant prayer for him as you live in an atmosphere of prayer that regularly breaks out into actual prayer for him. Talk to God throughout the day. Secondly, invest time with God through his word every day. How many of you want to hear God speak to you? I know you do. If you want to hear God speak to you, read his word How many of you want to hear God speak to you out loud? Let me give you a little clue. You want to hear God speak to you out loud? Read his word out loud. <laughs> Third, proclaim the gospel to yourself every day. Remind yourself of gospel truths. I try to do this every morning after I say good morning to the Lord. Just, just remind myself that, that God loves me, period. His love is absolute. It has nothing to do with who I am or what I do. It has everything to do with who he is and, and what he does. His mercy in my life is brand new today. Yesterday's gone. Today's a brand new day. It's the first day of the rest of my life. God's grace, thank you that it's going to be sufficient whatever you bring into my life today. Father, I thank you that you're in sovereign control of this world. You're in sovereign control of my life. Nothing is going to happen in this world. Nothing is going to happen in my life that has not come through you. Fourth, fellowship with other believers as often as you can. 
Knit your, your heart together in love with other believers over coffee, over lunch, uh, taking a walk, as you just talk about how God is working his word into your life. Fifth, worship God daily as you live your life before him. And then uh, weekly as you come together to worship as a church. Genuine corporate worship happens when, when people have been passionately pursuing Jesus during the week and then they come together on Sunday to passionately cons- uh, pursue him together. Six, confess your sins to God. Seek forgiveness from people you've sinned against. Grant forgiveness to those who've sinned against you. As soon as the Holy Spirit of God convicts you of sin, confess it to God, turn from it. Make things right with the people you've sinned against. Go to people who have sinned against you. And then finally, do something every day that requires faith. Now, please don't overthink this one. Don't get overwhelmed with this one. It's really not complicated. It's actually quite simple. Do something every day where you need God's help for you to do it. It may just be trusting God to to help you with speech, with with a project, with an exam at work or school. It may be trusting God to give you boldness to share the gospel. It may be trusting God to give you the right words to say so that the gospel will be clear. It may be trusting God to help you make that difficult phone call or write that difficult letter or email to the person with whom you need to restore a relationship. It might be trusting God to supply a financial need in your life. It might be trusting God to make a sacrifice to meet a financial need in somebody else's life. The point being, you will ignite your passion for Christ when you start living by faith in an intentional relationship with him. Because apart from faith, it is impossible to please God. By the way, would you let me take a little parenthesis here as we are getting close to closing this out to just say to those of you who do not know for sure that your sins are forgiven and there has been purchased for you if you want to receive it as a gift, an eternal home in heaven when you die. The Bible is very clear that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come unto the Father unless you come through him If you're not trusting Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the grave as payment for the penalty for your sin, it's impossible for you to please God. John tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. God so loved you that he gave you his only begotten son that if you would believe in him, trust his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave as payment for your sin, you will not perish. That word means to live without God for eternity. You will instead have everlasting life. That means to live with God forever. Because you know what? God did not send his son into the world to judge you. He sent his son into the world to forgive you. You might be thinking, what does that trust look like? Well, it really just looks like a sincere prayer of faith. 
It's a, it's a prayer that you can pray right where you're at if, if you sincerely believe it. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know there's nothing I can do to save myself. Finally, today, I'm going to quit trying. And I'm going to trust what you have already done in providing the payment for my sin on the cross through your son. He died for me, and he rose from the dead. I thank you for that gift. When you trust Jesus as your Savior, you no longer have to live trusting yourself. Instead, you can live by faith in him who loved you and gave himself for you. And as you do that in your life, this is what's going to happen. One day you're going, to, you're going to wake up, and instead of being spiritually indifferent because you're now living in an intentional relationship with Jesus, instead of being consumed and, and impressing people, you're going to be living for God. And instead of being obsessed with, with life on this earth, you're going to be living for eternity. And instead of rationalizing your sin, you're going to confess your sins to God and you're going to seek to live righteously before him. Instead of rarely thinking about Jesus and, and speaking about him, you're going to be thinking about him and speaking about him all the time. Instead of turning to him only when you need him, when you're in trouble, you'll live daily in a relationship with him. And one day you'll realize, you know what? I'm different. I have a passion in life. I have a purpose in life. I'm filled with the enjoyment of God and joy in him. And it's, it's awesome. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for loving us and for the hope that your love brings to our lives. You offer forgiveness of sins. You offer your presence in life an eternal home in heaven to anyone who trusts your son's death and resurrection as payment for their sin. Father, thank you for your loving discipline that calls us back to you when our hearts have become focused on ourselves and, and grown indifferent toward you. Thank you for your word that's done that today in our lives. And Father, for those who do not know you, through faith in the death and resurrection of your son, give them understanding of the gospel and give them faith to believe. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.